Mindfulness Mode 498. And it literally feels like there's a small self, if you really look, behind your eyes in the middle of your head looking out. Hey, welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm your host, Bruce Langford. Mindful Tribe, I want to share with you my Waves of Content Guided Meditation. It's a free guided meditation I've recorded. It'll help you be more focused and have a better sense of calm in your life. You can download this free right here at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash waves. Now sit back relax, and enjoy today's episode. Mindful Tribe, I'm very, very excited with who I have today as a guest. He's so well-known and so accomplished in this whole area of mindfulness and meditation. I have Locke Kelly with me today. Hey, Locke, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am, Bruce. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you and with everyone else who's listening. Locke Kelly is an internationally recognized meditation teacher who has recently written a phenomenal book. And I've I've read this book, absolutely love it. The book is called The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. And he teaches an advanced yet simple form of mindfulness that he personally developed, and it is called Effortless Mindfulness. And by using this technique, Locke's students require significantly less time to achieve peace and connection compared to other methods. And he uses his techniques to do shadow work and to overcome challenges with ADD and addiction and so much more. So Locke, let's just start at the beginning with mindfulness itself. Tell us what mindfulness means to you. How do you define it? Sure. So yeah, maybe what I'll do is I'll say, let's say there's two types of mindfulness. One we'll call deliberate mindfulness and the other effortless mindfulness. So mindfulness that is common is a connection from who we are to what we're relating to. So that would probably be the simplest definition of mindfulness. So being mindful means to be aware or conscious, but also maybe more importantly, connected to the person we're mindful of, to the task we're mindful of to the emotion that's happening within us rather than being mindless, right? I think we've all tried effortless mindlessness. Yeah. So (laughs) that's kind of spacing out or just letting everything happen or being too tight, too mentally fighting of something happening within ourselves or outside being in a small part of ourselves that is kind of identified with a need to be right or to be in control. And shifting into mindfulness is shifting into a kind of a higher and wider and deeper level of awareness uh, that is capable of being non-reactive, non-judgmental, and, and connected. So deliberate mindfulness is what most people call mindfulness. And I can talk a little about that later. Basically, the two practices are watching your breath uh, and kind of focusing in a one-pointed way and then being conscious of thoughts, feelings, and sensations coming and going 
from this deliberate mindfulness meditator. And effortless mindfulness is traditionally the more advanced practice, though it is just as simple once you learn it. And instead of narrowing the focus, we begin by opening our awareness to a greater field of more spacious, uh, panoramic awareness, pretty much like we do if we go and walk in the woods. And it takes us into what's called a flow state or flow consciousness. So we feel like from effortless mindfulness, we tap into um, an awareness that is spacious and embodied and literally feels interconnected with what we're aware of. So rather than being a detached observer, we feel both open and related and connected from effortless mindfulness. Right. Locke, I know that one of the very powerful events in your life was when your father passed away from cancer and you had a tremendous amount of grief. You didn't know how to let go of it. Tell us how this experience impacted you and how you moved through it. Yes. So in some ways, as I look back, I had some experience with psychology and meditation and uh, but I was a sophomore in college, and uh, many of my peers had not gone through a loss like a parent. Uh, so I couldn't find that many people who you know, could relate to me. So I was holding it in, as many of us do, and grieving silently. And one night as I came out of the library, I felt like, you know, very heavy and then a voice inside my head said, I don't know if I can take this much longer. Mm. And interestingly, I had my awareness kind of look up and out. It's like, who said that? Where's that coming from? And as I did, it's like I unhooked from the mental and emotional heavy constellation of consciousness and opened into the sky which happened to be a beautiful winter night sky. And it felt like the awareness opened to this great, something greater than myself that was alive and awake and aware. And it was greater than me, but it was also essentially who I was. And I felt this immediate relief. I started uh, crying and then also laughing and uh, felt this greater sense of being aware from this spacious presence that didn't feel like it was a religious figure. It felt like it was more my own dimension of consciousness, which was also kind of universal. And that gave me this capacity to be with the what had been these big emotions now were emotions within this bigger sense of mindful awareness. Locke, there are so many people who have endorsed your terrific book, including Sarah Brock, Daniel Siegel, Shinsen Young. How have you made such a powerful influence in the world with what you do that you have attracted so many of these other people? How do you feel these mm -hmm. connections have been made? Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've really from the beginning been, you know, kind of trying to be authentic 
and real and really enthusiastic about what's true, what's real, what works, how can I help? And so, you know, I went to graduate school in psychology and spirituality and then to social work school and became, you know, worked in psychiatric hospitals and helped with uh, set up soup kitchens and shelters in New York City. Um, and then, you know, began teaching meditation and being a psychotherapist. And, you know, having this ethical approach to, you know, dedicating my life to, to something that was real and true. And then I think in that way, I've been collegial in that I'm always interested in talking to people about what, you know, what have you found, what seems to work, what's helping people. And so I think that a group of us, you know, who are doing the same kind of work in an authentic way, you know, support each other in trying to kind of move the edge of spirituality and science and practical relief of suffering in a way that we are kind of pioneers and and finding new exciting things uh, showing up, you know, in our students and clients. Right. I know that after graduate school, you went to Sri Lanka and India and Nepal. Who were some of the teachers you met there? Yeah. So I went there actually as a fellowship as, as part of the graduate school. And yeah, many of the teachers there are not well known. There's a teacher called Bede Griffiths. There's a, a number of teachers, Dharmasiri, who's a, a monk in the insight meditation tradition, which I studied in Sri Lanka for nine months. And then I went up north and met the Dalai Lama, who was giving a small audiences to groups. And he, interestingly, was just about to go off to France to teach on this direct path version of effortless mindfulness called Dzogchen in um, the Tibetan tradition. And he was enthusiastically giving a talk. And so I put up my hand and said, wow, this is great. Where, where do I go or who should I go study with? And he immediately mentioned Tibetan teacher in Nepal, Toku Ergen Rinpoche. So off I went uh, to his small hut in the Himalayas in Nepal. And this is where I discovered that I had been doing these long sitting meditations five-day, 10-day, 21-day retreats and getting benefits in this deliberate mindfulness tradition. And sitting with Toko Ergen, he gave about a 10-minute talk and then gave this instruction on shifting awareness, similar to the way I do in my books. And within three minutes, I felt the same way as I did at the end of a 10-day retreat. Wow. Uh, one of the things I love about your book is that you have so many tools, so many. It's not just reading a book. There are so many things to do and to do right along with you. And, uh, you know, I'm familiar with your one point at attention or calm abiding uh, tool. Can you share something with us right here and now that could help us maybe be more mindful in a quicker kind of way? Uh, sure. I mean, it. it there's a a couple of different little pointers. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, one simple one that we can explore is just to say something about the premise of effortless mindfulness to start and then do a little shift of awareness. Yes. So the premise is that 
effortless mindfulness, that the awakeness, the love, the sense of well-being that we seek is already inherent within us. So it's not something that you need to develop like a skill, like playing the piano, that you can immediately shift out of the current way of organizing consciousness and into this already spacious, pervasive, interconnected, open-hearted presence. And it's already installed as an operating system, so you can actually learn to live from here. So the problem is simply just the way we organize our identity and our way of knowing, which is to feel like thought is going to thought, is going to emotion, is going to create a thinker. As we've all heard, the feeling is, I think, therefore I am. And it literally feels like there's a small self, if you really look, behind your eyes in the middle of your head looking out. And that's just one uh, function of our functioning and, and way of, of uh, trying to organize uh, our life. But from that small point of view, um, th- we get overwhelmed from this ego center or this small self. And so mindfulness is stepping out of that. Um, and when these thoughts pattern on themselves, um, this ego function, which is just supposed to solve problems like, where's my keys to my house? You know, is that a green light or red light? Becomes a problem solver identity that keeps trying to solve the problem of how am I doing? What's going on? It, it, there must be a problem. Search in the past, search in the future. And if we can just relax the problem solver and let our awareness open to what's here or who's here in a felt sense way, then we'll notice there's an intelligence and a sense of flow consciousness and a sense of open heartedness that's aware and alert and present when that relaxes. So all that to say as a premise for this experiment, right? if you could just, as an inquiry, just going to ask you to ask yourself a simple question and then let your awareness unhook and feel into what's here. So the inquiry is this, what's here now when there's no problem to solve? So just understanding the question and understanding it's not about all problems forever, just now. So understanding the question, what's here now, when there's no problem to solve, and then feel as if awareness can drop down and back and open. I really like that. What's here now when there's no problem to solve? And you just may feel certain quality of dimensionality, more open mind, open heart, more relief from the chattering mind, and yet still an alertness, a calm that you didn't create, that's already here. And not only are you aware of this more non-thought-based awareness, but you're aware from it of any thoughts or feelings that can arise 
and they can be welcomed from this effortless, mindful feeling of being. So it's just learning to attend to the intelligent awareness instead of thought, and let thought be a functional tool that can be used when needed, but to be getting used to peace of mind so that thoughts, chattering thoughts, automatic thoughts go into the background. Right. And what I got from your book is that it's actually easier when we just let go and don't overthink it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then the unique thing is, you know, rather than that first instruction, which we've all heard and works, you know, let go, surrender, um, just be, be in the now. Then the next instruction is important, which is that, okay, once what's letting go, uh, so that's awareness is letting go. And when it surrenders, where does it surrender into? It surrenders into an awareness that's already awake and alert. So it's almost uh, letting go into that which is effortlessly mindful and just familiarizing yourself with that, which most of us have accessed in what we call flow states, which basically is. If people listening were just to think about what do you do in your free time to have fun? So most people will say, uh, you know, walking in nature, um, gardening, playing sports, uh, dancing, music. And what you notice is that when you do something like that, like walking in nature, you literally get out of the car or walk in and walk into the woods. And then you drop your awareness and you feel there's nothing to do and no uh, problem to solve. And then you feel interconnected with nature. You feel more spacious and interconnected. And yet you're still walking and in this kind of non-thought-based, non-self-conscious way of being. And that actually is a highly optimal way of functioning that you can do, you know, complex tasks from uh, once you learn to familiarize yourself with this new already installed way of being, which is really the, the amazing thing is that, you know, these ancient wise gals and wise guys, you know, found out about this, but then they often would spend uh, a lifetime, they would go off in a, you know, to a monastery for a lifetime to develop it. Right. And what we've discovered now is, well, let's learn the principles like we've learned the principles of other things like electricity and, you know, right. and see if we can discover what's the essence, what's, you know, what, what's the way to access it, what's the way to stabilize. And um, some of the advanced versions from around the world have these tools and a you know group of us are just putting it into more contemporary language and fine-tuning it so that you know we find out what works and what doesn't for different learning types of people well i love how you described that 
in three minutes time, in only three minutes time, you could get to the same place that you would be at at the end of a 10-day mindfulness retreat. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's it's totally true. And and literally people walking off the street, like in an hour and a half uh, intro session, people who have never done this, um, like eight out of 10 people can experience this. You know, when I do, you know, I'll do about 10 or 12 different little doorways uh, shifts of short glimpse practices and some won't work for some people. And then all of a sudden they're like, no, no, whoa, Hmm. oh, wow. And And then it becomes this access to something that, you know, that's the amazing gift is this is, is within us. And it's a, it's a capacity like the capacity to have the ability to read or write, but if we don't learn to read and write, it won't flourish. This is the capacity to live from a flow consciousness or an awake consciousness, and it's already there. And so, you know, this is the invitation is for people to check it out and see how they can access it and how to live from it. It it relieves suffering at its root is really the the gift. Wow. And that is an incredible gift. And I love how you're able to weave together meditation, neuroscience, yeah. and psychotherapy in order to reach this awakening that you've been talking about. Let's talk about the neuroscience sure. part of it. How how does this enter into the mindfulness that you teach? Yes, I mean, I, I I was not a science person myself, so I don't want to scare anyone away by starting to right. throw out throw out these big terms. But it it is so exciting that um, both for deliberate mindfulness and now more for effortless mindfulness, there are these research uh, research um, researchers and research projects that act- I actually have been. Uh, you know, a guinea pig for have been in right. these F- fMRIs and these EEGs to show that we can shift in real time uh, from um, the part of the brain that is self-referencing or what's called the default mode network, which is kind of a a part that is daydreamy and distracted, to this more embodied, balanced, focused awareness. Um, and so, you know, there's research that is uh, supporting that this is not just imagination or just a positive, wishful thought that lasts for a while, that l- there are literally long-term results that the brain that's distracted and keeps looking out and looking in and looking to a problem can balance. So there's two parts of the brain. One is like a task mode that's looking out and one's a default mode that's looking in. And that's why when you try to watch your breath, your mind will wander. And everyone's experienced that because the other mode comes on, looks in, and then you try to look at your breath, and then it goes to the other mode. And in Effortless Mindfulness, uh, one of the research projects I was in, doing this, uh, these glimpses that are in my book, 
you balance uh, the internal and external, then the feeling is that you're interconnected or this feeling of unity consciousness or interconnection, like when you walk in nature. You feel seamless and even and safe and um, like a like the a Tai Chi master trains to be in the world with your eyes open. Um, your, your brain is basically being trained to live in this less fearful, less distracted mode. And it, again, just takes um, the primary practice is small glimpses uh, many times rather than long periods of meditation. Right. Locke, I want to ask you to tell us a story about you when you were a child, when you were mm -hmm. seven years old. Where did you grow up? And can you tell us a story about your life back then? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of them. I think uh, one that's kind of fun that relates to, the, to effortless mindfulness is a story when I was uh, 14 and I was. Um, I had ADD uh, and a little dyslexia. So I felt like I was smart, but I couldn't apply myself in school. So I would be, um, you know, behind in the, the reading groups and, uh, you know, it would take me longer to write an essay and I would mix up the letters and, and have to go back and forth. But when I played music or when I played sports, I felt like, oh, I'm very, connected, I'm, I'm facile, I'm able to do what I'm thinking and put it into action. And so um, in sports, I remember listening to a TV show about a sportscaster saying something about a quarterback. He said he's got eyes in the back of his head. And I thought, oh, I kind of know what that means. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like seeing, it's not like a psychic ability to see, it's and so what I did is I started opening my awareness to the sides and my peripheral vision opened. And then I just continued to open up in this kind of panoramic way, which is one of the exercises in my book now, until I felt this 360 degree uh, field of awareness that I was aware from. And then I felt like I dropped into my body and was interconnected with everything uh, in the in the world. And I started to do that when I was playing ice hockey goalie. And all of a sudden, someone would shoot a puck, you know, and I would lose it in the tangle of legs. And all of a sudden, my hand would shoot out and the puck would be in my hand. Wow. And so, um, so I told this to some people about what was happening. And one of the seniors on the team came and threw me a book. He said, here, kid, Read this. This is what you're talking about. And it was Zen and the Art of Archery. Uh -huh. And so that's how I first started to make this connection. Like, oh, there's a, this is a real thing. What eventually becomes known as flow consciousness or flow state. Yes. But that has been studied throughout uh, history and has been valued. But nobody was talking about it in terms of just living everyday life. Right. And so that led me to say, well, I'm, you know, I'm interested in finding out how this, how I can, you know, learn more about this. And what part of the world did you grow up in? I grew up in, uh, right outside of New York City in a suburb, uh, 
Summit, New Jersey. So, uh, you know, that was that was the Northeast area. Well, the picture on the outside cover of your book is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Is there a story behind that photo? I mean, I was trying to give the feeling of this river and the sky and this, you know, woods of the feeling of this, of what it feels like when you open your, when you have open eyes and you open your awareness and you feel interconnected in nature um, as a feeling sense of what effortless mindfulness is like. And even though that picture's in nature, learning this method of effortless mindfulness, I feel the same way in the subway in New York City. Right. So that's the amazing thing is you don't have to go. We often think and people can, you know, go to their favorite mountaintop, go to their retreat center, uh, go on a vacation. Right. But to to achieve moments of this. But the amazing thing is you can intentionally and immediately access that same not only feeling, but literally way of being that feels the same way as you do when you, you know, take a hike with your friends and get to the top of a mountain and look over this beautiful vista or sit on a beach and you feel free and open and no problem. And, and, and that is inherent within us and can be experienced in the midst of daily life with eyes open. And speaking of, making it easy to go somewhere. I love how easy it is to go to your website, which is simply effortlessmindfulness.org. Yeah. And you can check out the book there. It's Locke Kelly and it's L-O-C-H, which in North America, we're not used to seeing that spelling. We see it with Tara Brock with, Um. you know, the H (laughs) being like a K sound, but Locke Kelly, L-O-C-H, but the website is effortlessmindfulness.org. And I always ask a question about bullying because I've worked in that field for so long and I know that it's connected to mindfulness. Do you have a short story you can share with us, maybe about yourself or about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, I mean, I think it it may have been something about, you know, what I call the goal of effortless mindfulness is open-hearted awareness or heart-mind, which drops you from head to heart and opens you to this spacious, interconnected feeling. And I feel like we all have that as kids. And I feel like somehow I would access that as a kid. And I was one of the taller kids, you know, skinny, but tall and like the captains of the teams. And I would always intervene if somebody was bullying somebody else. I'd, you know, I would just feel this like, no, 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 you don't. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I just like. Uh, you can hit me, but uh, you know, like leave that little little kid alone. Leave that yeah. person with you know who's you know not who's an easy target. And I would look you know look them right in the eye and say, "Hey, man, what's going on with you? You know, leave this kid alone." So there was some open hearted courage and compassion that I think I feel more is what people describe as they access. It's not just you know with effortless mindfulness. It's not just a passive uh, sitting on a cushion or going away for long periods of time. It literally is dropping 
from head to heart space, which is one of the simple exercises that you literally can do in three moments, three minutes, you drop your awareness from your head to your throat, to your chest, to your heart mind, and then look out of the eyes of your heart. And all of a sudden, there's this new view, which I feel like I somehow was fortunate enough to access as a kid and continue to feel like that kind of integrity and ethics and compassion is a natural view, not just, you know, a mental thought or a, you know, ethical belief that it literally, when you feel it, you almost feel like, all right, got to act, you know, let's go help somebody. And, you know, later on, I would find that some of these big guys who would, had been bullies, you know, most of them had been treated really badly by their parents. And so they were kind of carrying on this acting out of this aggressive behavior that they were treated. And, you know, many of them have come to me later and I've had them as clients and they're just, they go and make amends, which is part of the, you know, to be willing to make amends. Some of them have literally gone back to grade school, you know, at reunions and said, you know, look, I just, you know, can you come over here? And I just want to, were you, you know, willing to talk to me for a few moments? I just want to apologize for sixth grade when I did this, you know, at your locker and, Right. You know, and, and literally, you know, it's like relieves them and relieves the burden from the person who has been carrying it all along. So I think there's that, you know, psychological and emotional growth that um, this upgrade from effortless mindfulness brings. It's, you know, waking up and growing up uh, are interconnected. Right. As we move forward in the interview, Locke, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So Mm -hmm. just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness for you in your life? And I know there have been many, but can you narrow it down? Yeah. I mean, I would have to say Tokul Ergen Rinpoche, who was this Tibetan teacher who had done three, three three-year retreats. And then at the end of three, three three-year retreats, he realized that at 14, his uncle had shown them this effortless mindfulness technique that introduced him to this awake consciousness. And he realized that it was the same at the end of three, three year retreats as it was before when he was 14. Wow. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Locke? Yeah. So for me, this is crucial. This is without that. There's some mindfulness traditions that almost define awakening as detaching from emotions so that they just come and go and you just watch them. Whereas in my experience, in my life, there's a detaching from the emotional part that is enmeshed and then coming back to include and embody and allow uh, emotions to kind of unburden and grieve and, you know, shake and bake and just let go of their burden and be, you know, be welcomed and not only hurt emotions, but angry emotions and protective parts that, you know, are often not accepted can be helped. Right. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in some ways, you know, that when we're not mindful, our breath can get shortened and uptight in our whole nervous system. So there's some initial practice of calming the body and soothing the mind that breath can help with and that when you soothe you relax and breathe. But I think the way I use breath is, as a metaphor, is if you're 
notice that breath is happening by itself without your help. And now notice that there's an awareness that's happening without your help that you're aware from. Locke, your book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness is phenomenal and I highly recommend it. Are there any other books that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? Um, I mean, uh, yes, I'm, I'm interested in kind of having people see that there is this tradition of effortless mindfulness that has been less um, taught and less reported. So I would say there are three of these teachers from the Tibetan tradition that have books, Toku Ergen Rinpoche, his two sons, Sokni Rinpoche and Minjur Rinpoche. And so <clears throat> the one from Toku Ergen Rinpoche uh, is called Rainbow Paintings. Rainbow Paintings. I'll put that into our show notes, Mindful Tribe. Rainbow Paintings. And are there any apps, Locke, that you could recommend Mindful Tribe listen to or use to help yeah. with mindfulness? Sure. Yeah, there's two apps that I'm on. And the one I would recommend is called Waking Up by Sam Harris, uh, who's a well-known commentator. But he studied with similar teachers and has asked me to contribute a bit to it. But it's a good start. I think that would be the best one. Okay. So it's called, I'll call Waking Up with Sam Harris. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll put that in our show notes as well. Well, it's so easy to go to effortlessmindfulness.org and learn more about you, Locke. And I thank you so much for being on the show. It's been so enlightening and I totally enjoyed reading the book. And do you have any final final words you'd like to share with Mindful Tribe? Sure, yes, just that. This is kind of mindfulness is really an opportunity in this contemporary age to wake up and grow up. That it's not just for stress management, but it's literally the possibility of, of the next stage of human development is waking up to this consciousness that is loving and connected that's already within us and with you know, the willingness to spend just short amounts of time on a consistent basis to learn and to apply this, you know, you can really change your entire life and reduce suffering and increase the sense of well-being. Yes, that is absolutely true. Thank you so much for being on the show, Locke. All the best to you. Thanks, Bruce. Really enjoyed it. Right. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the Waves of Content Meditation. It's a guided meditation just for you, Mindful Tribe. It's free and it's very, very helpful to help you relax and get more focused. 
with more focus, you can get more things done in life that truly matter to you. On this meditation, I talk about waves and how the waves can bring you the more calm and more relaxed life you've been looking for. Download this guided meditation to calm your mind and relax your body. Mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.